welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. What's up, everybody? We're rolling. Another knock on podcast. Hey, hey, hey. Whichever intro you like, I'll give you both. Um, sitting here with a lukewarm coffee at best. I've been up for a few hours now. Took my good buddy, longtime friend, uh, to the airport. Um, a secret friend of mine that I've has expertise in a new field of development for knock on. I'll stay tuned. You'll find out hopefully within a few months, uh, that'll be rolling and we'll have an all new part of awesomeness for me to share with everybody. I'm excited about it. So took me several years to convince him to help me do something. It's a way I've been wanting to do for a long time. And uh, yeah, I just spent three full days with him and another good buddy of mine spending long, long, long days uh, in the garage, in the workshop, concepting what's soon to come. I've got a bunch of bloody fingers. Some people might know what that means. And uh, yeah, I'm tired of junk on the market and ready to get ready to get some good stuff going. But what I did for this podcast is I actually went through my last 10 posts and uh, screenshotted questions that some of you had left in my posts, and I figured I would hit you guys up. And then also, for those of you who um, have your Instagram notifications on, um, you know that I'm live right now, and I went ahead and got some awesome questions from those people tuning in right now to the live feed. So yeah, that's going to be that. We've got a pretty cool week coming up. Um, It is December 4th. It's the first week of December. Um, I had some crazy stuff happen here um, during my last few days of uh, deer season, which I can't talk about right now. Um, Just because, well, eventually when I can talk about it, you'll know why. Um, it's people never, never cease to amaze me, I guess. And, uh, yeah, had some, anyway, I don't know. I guess I had some jealous locals or jealous neighbors and totally tried to sabotage all my hard, all my blood, sweat, and tears. So, uh, it is what it is. I'll keep keep plugging away but uh yeah there's some good questions and let's get going on this podcast if you're listening to this podcast today by the way at um one pacific time uh my good buddy andy stump's gonna be on joe rogan they're actually i'm kind of pissed at andy because he's gonna be the first one to be able to start launching arrows in joe's new indoor range that i help him with we building a cool indoor archery facility at Joe's new podcast thing. So 
Um, that's going to be my California mobile uh, bow repair station in case I ever have a breakdown in California. I'm going to swing in there and uh, got, them, got them all the goods. So all that stuff's getting set up. So if you're a JRE fan, you're going to get to see some of that. And uh, yeah, him and Andy are going to be, uh, they're going to be talking about who knows what. So that should be pretty interesting. Um, two people that really don't give a crap about what they say can uh, could turn interesting really quick. So I'm looking forward to tuning into that. I'll probably tune in. I'll probably do my workout um, during that time. Uh, all right. Well, <clears throat> first question here. Um, I'm going to just pull up randoms. Um, so the first question is from Bama underscore Esau 79. He's saying that he added weight to his arrows for this season and was shooting fine. Um, but then he traveled, um, to Alabama from Texas and noticed that he was shooting low left. He said he marked his cams like I talk about, um, which is using your limbs as a reference and marking your cams using your limb as a reference so that you kind of know if you have um, any string stretch, um, string or cable stretch, which is a problem right now with not all. I mean, there's definitely some good builders out there, but um, some of the ones I trusted aren't good anymore. Um, and he just said, I marked my bow like you advised in your knock and ready rock se segments, um, and everything looked fine, but he was still hitting low left. So what could that be? So it's hard to say without seeing your bow, obviously, um, there, it could be a number of things. Um, marking your cams, referencing your limb is real. I mean, it's an important thing because if you ever have, really, if you ever have a cut, a, you know, a straight up cut on a cable or a string, or if you have even a limb break, or if you have a limb pocket shift, those marks will move really fast. And those are good marks to have, but they're not the only ones. Um, one of the most important things for you to have um, is for you to really have an understanding of your knock height. Um, so sometimes depending on, uh, your string and cable, the quality of your string and cable, um, there's a couple things. One, you, depending on, um, the quality of your center serving, sometimes that center serving is served and there's not a lot of space or back wrapping above your, your loop or your knocking points. So that can slowly start to slip over time and it'll start to slide up. Um, and as that does slide up, then what will happen is as it slides up, obviously the point of your arrow is going down and you'll start um, to hit low. Now with some arrow rests, um, depending on um, how you... Depending on your center shot and a number of things, sometimes when you're high and low or your knock position starts to change, your left and right can start to change as well simply because you start to slightly change clearance of how that arrow comes through and how that arrow is supported. So sometimes you can have left and right, um, slight left and right um, variance even though your knock point is moving up or down. 
And like I said, a lot of that has to do with clearance. Um, so sliding or knocks moving, and normally they're going to move up. Um, back in the single cambo days, if you have a single cambo, another thing is one of the most common is um, slight cable movement or because the string is so long, if the string starts to move, um, most of the time on single cams, when you started to have movement within the string, um, the knock would raise as well. So as soon as the knock point raises, your impact's low. Um, obviously, if you go from one location to another location and it hits completely different and then you go back home again and it's hitting just fine, um, then I would say, you know, there's a few things there's a lot of different things that can cause this. I'm giving you all the options. Um, a lot of times when I when I'm hunting and I'm traveling, um, I've made the mistake of you know grabbing my bow and carrying it or pulling it through something, and sometimes the peep can move. So if your peep moves, you can also uh, you know especially if your peep starts to slide down. Um, you can also start to have a variance in where you're hitting. So I always mark my peep site so that when I travel, I know my peep hasn't accidentally been slid, um, you know, which I've seen that happen to many people as well. Um, another thing is when you travel, if you're at home and you shoot at a local range and you're out there always going to one club, um, for example, I've been places where I've gone and I've shot their range and they just say, yeah, you know, those, that's 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, all the way out. Well, if your range finder that you've set your heart, your targets at home with, um, is calibrated, maybe even just two yards different, um, which is very common. My, my Leupold range finder, um, it, it has about a two-yard variance as opposed to my Leica. So, uh, you know, I really don't know which one. I haven't really measured with the tape measure which one is accurate, but I know that I don't have, you know, I know that I have two different rangefinders that read two different distances. So I don't go out and sight in my bow with a rangefinder that's going to be sitting here at home. I sight in my bow with a rangefinder that I have all the time. So that would be the next thing that I would say is don't just assume when you're practicing at home and, and uh, or at a local range and you're shooting their 20, 30, 40, 50, um, you know, make sure it's actually that distance. Um, I had that actually happen. Um, I went and shot with my with my tattoo guy, Nick. Um, there's an archery range that's outdoors in a park, and he wanted some lessons, so I went and shot with him. And, you know, there was 20, 30, 40. Well, I shot my first group at 40. 20 was fine, and 30, I think 30 was uh, maybe just a fuzz low, but then I remember I shot at 40, and all of a sudden I'm like, my 40 is hitting just over the top edge of the dot so i was like what the heck and i went back pulled my rangefinder out and ranged it and it was only like 38 yards it wasn't a true 40 uh where they had the target sitting so 
make sure you check that as well. Um, don't ever assume that your rangefinder is the same as everyone else's. And that also is an important thing to remember when you're hunting. Because if you have a buddy of yours that's behind you ranging or a guide that's ranging, which this is a valuable thing. Like I said, Andy and I are going to be um, going on a, um, a mountain hunt together. And there's a, a really good possibility because of the cliffs and the angles of these shots, there's a very good possibility that because of how fast we may have to come over and shoot, that you have to have someone else ranging for you. So one of the things that I'm certainly going to do with Andy is, you know, get somewhere and say, okay, let's laze that rock down there with both of our things. Because if we're side by side and I'll do the same thing with my guide, because there's a good chance that, um, you know, you go out, you go out, um, to somewhere like France, they're probably going to be using a, a really good, uh, European product. So they're probably going to have Sarovskis or Leicas or something like that. They may not have a Nikon or um, or a Leopold. So just knowing that variation is really important. And if it's off, then you pretty much know. Um, you know, if you're trying to come over something and shoot fast, it might be better to just say, you know, have my rangefinder, let them come over as you're stepping over at full draw, and then they can say here's what the distance is. So double checking your range finders um, is really, really important. You know, I've had many times where a guide has been behind me and I've been at full draw and he said, you know, 56 yards and then I shoot. And I don't factor in the fact that one, he's saying 56 when he's three yards behind me. And two, if his range finder is one yard off from mine and he's behind me well now instead of it being three yard two yards is three or four yards um you know if he's got two yards and then he's three yards behind me well now it's five yards so this is uh it's a big deal so uh make sure you factor all those things in lastly is going to be um which i don't think is a factor for you is elevation variance so obviously you know you look at golfers that go to a high elevation golf course in Colorado they can hit drives further than if they're at sea level so you kind of have to factor in you know what is the altitude you, you know you may need to I always feel like it's valuable to have a little target if you know you're going somewhere that's why if I go on a high elevation elk hunt or something you know trying to get a target out there with you make a few shots is is pretty darn good my plan is um, before our camera guy undoes his sleeping bag, I'm going to check a few marks <laughs> in, in, uh, in my, he, he's an awesome camera guy. I met him in Alabama. His name's Hunter. Of course he's, um, I don't know if he's from Georgia or Alabama. Actually, I don't know if I was in Georgia or Alabama. I think I was in Georgia. All the Georgia people are going to be mad. I said Alabama. Uh, but anyway, his name's, um, hunter and the first night i was there andy and i partaked partook in some uh kill cliff blood orange and tito's vodka and everything was fine like 
for the most part until I was well into my grilling. And Andy said, do you need a refill? And I said, yeah, I do. And <laughs> after he did the refills for a few cups, I don't remember much, but I remember the next day, um, my little camera buddy, he has a pretty fine mustache that he was growing. So evidently when I was trying to make my way into uh, my bedroom, evidently I fell on him on the couch and he said I was very, very nice and said, pardon me, Mustachio. So that's going to be his name is Mustachio. Uh, so I'm going to shoot his sleeping bag before he uncompresses un, un it to check my marks. So, yeah, you need to do that in elevation. And if you've covered all those, uh, if you've dotted those I's and crossed those T's, then there's no reason... You shouldn't have your bow shooting good where you go. But that's also a really valuable reason why you always check your marks when you do go. All right. <clears throat> Next question here is from Smith's Smithson Fine Furniture. So I don't know what kind of furniture he makes, but it is fine. Um, he's saying, can you talk about adjusting your bow when switching from a wrist strap uh index to a hinge style release um, he just ordered one and he's really wondering what you do so years ago um, I actually uh, did an article about this and I've got some pictures um, I actually might post those pictures today but honestly depending on how you're shooting your wrist strap now is going to really determine how much that change needs to be made um, when I teach wrist strap shooters how to shoot a wrist strap, I teach in a fashion to where this change over will be very, very minimal, um, if at all. So I actually can put a wrist strap on, and if, the, if I adjust the length of the wrist strap or the length of the head um, to the right position, my hand will actually be able to be in the correct position on my face that I teach, and the peep height still be definitely tolerable. You might need to fine tune it very minimally, but honestly, I can I could put a wrist strap on right now, and if I adjust the wrist strap itself to where I like to teach people to shoot it. I actually can shoot I can shoot my same bow from a wrist strap to a hinge to a, a trigger activated release. And what I teach is I really like a wrist strap to where when the wrist strap is on, the head of the release is in a position to where if you curl your finger almost in the exact position as if you were holding a pistol and shooting a gun. So your index finger is bent around. I like to curl my finger around the trigger completely. Um, you know, when you do that, I still want your hand to remain flat and I want you to put the main knuckle of your index finger at the base of your earlobe. So it's literally sitting right at the back edge of your jaw, okay? Your hand is gonna be relatively flat you might have a slight turn in your hand but more or less you're you're anchoring comfortably on the side of your face you're just getting that index knuckle right at the base of the earlobe and you're able to curl your finger around the release 
This is important because even with the wrist strap release, the string is still gonna be sitting on the side of your face. The arrow is gonna be in the correct position on your face, which is between the lip and the chin. It's gonna be in the safe zone of your face, and you should still be able to feel the string coming up from the corner of the mouth to the tip of the nose. Now, a lot of people, um, they want to shoot a wrist strap slightly different and they try to do a few things. One, people either like to really feel solid in their anchor to hold that bow back so they put that thumb behind their neck. And thumb behind the neck is not my personal uh, favorite when it comes to um, your position. I know some people... Uh, out there some you know good bow hunters reputable bow hunters they actually uh, do that and that's cool I mean everybody has their own way which is fine um, but I know that when you start to go thumb behind the neck what happens is your anchor position one starts to come lower you end up having to shoot a slightly longer draw than what I would teach you with a handheld release and the other thing is you bring the arrow lower on the chin. So now the direction that your face is turning has way more relevance to what the heck is going on. So, you know, I really like taking your hand, pretending like you're shooting a pistol, you know, same as you're shooting a pistol, but turn it sideways so that the index finger, it, you're literally going gangster style. You're going out the window Back in the NWA days, Snoop Dogg drive-by style, murder was the case. You have to go like that. And if you do that, you've got perfect positioning. Um, I'm actually going to show those watching right now some examples of this. So everybody looking right now, here's a picture shooting a handheld release. Okay, everyone can see that, correct? And same bow fit, you can see that the position is perfect for my string. Uh, string is at the corner of my mouth, tip of my nose. Uh, my hand is flat as well with my, with my handheld release. And the arrow is sitting between the lips and the chin, okay? So now with uh, a wrist rocket, as I would call it, or a wrist strap release, um, P-Pythe never moving, draw length on the bow never moving, I'm able to shoot in the, the fashion that I'm talking to you about right now, uh, pistol grip gangster style, and you're able to shoot an index finger release um, with the same exact setup. So it's actually a very, very accurate method. Um, I have shot a wrist strap release. Uh, many times. Um, I can normally shoot one for up to three days before I punch it. Um, so if I ever get called out to a, a wrist strap tournament, if it's a four-day tournament, I am going to shoot the woods down. If it's a three-day tournament, I could possibly win it. So um, that, <laughs> if that, you know, if I ever didn't have any practice, and wanted to just go all cards in on some kind of a crazy shoot, then I can pull a wrist rocket out for about 
two days. But if you shot the incorrect way, the other thing too I want to talk about um, with the wrist strap release, some people, they really want to feel solid, so they make a fist on the wrist strap. They wrap their hand really tight around the barrel, and then what they want to do is they want to dig that knuckle or that fist behind their jaw. They might not be full thumb on the neck people. They might be fist behind the jaw people. And when you do that, it's the same thing. You just end up having a bow that's overdrawn. It's going to be too far back on your face. And the arrow is going to be much too low as well. And <clears throat> you're going to have a lot of lefts and rights. You're going to have a lot of freezing off the target. And you're going to end up, uh, you know, in my opinion, if you're going to do drive-by shooting, which is pretty much what you're going to end up doing with the wrist strap release anyway, over time, you're going to start to have to, you know, as you start to develop target panic and freeze off the target and all that stuff, you're going to end up having to like move your pin on the target and hit the trigger at the same time. So since you're doing drive-by shootings eventually anyway, I would recommend turning that pistol grip sideways, at least anchoring the proper way so that when you do get panic and you're ready to try um, a tension release for you know two weeks until you feel like you've mastered um, not punching the trigger and then go back to your wrist rocket, at least that way you can do it uh, in a timely fashion without having to make any adjustments on your bow so if you do it right you won't need a lot of adjustments if you're doing it wrong currently you're going to probably have to shorten draw you're probably going to feel like your peep is going to need to come down which this is something i talked about um the other day i've had a lot of people ask me about the new matthews triax um people that are matthews fans and uh, you know, I've I've got the bow, I've shot the bow, and uh, feels really good. If you're a Matthews person, you're gonna like it. Um, and you know, it's not as top heavy as a Halon, which is nice, but it is a 28 inch axle to axle bow. Um, so if your draw length is longer uh, and the string angle gets sharper, the further the bow comes back, the sharper it gets, which means when it's forward. Um, and the strings perfectly vertical the higher your peep will naturally have to sit in the string so that as you draw it back um, it comes down to your level on your eye um, the problem is if you're a person that anchors thumb behind the neck with a caliper release and your arrow is normally low like for example on a 34 inch bow if your peep height is sitting at like say six and a half inches or six and three quarter inches um, then by the time you go to that you know if you're my draw length and you go to that shorter bow that's that short your peep is going to have to be very high in the string, over seven inches. Um, and this is if you anchor that way. If you anchor the way I'm saying, you can actually, the way I just told you a little while ago, you actually could shoot this bow and you could make it work. But if your style is thumb behind the neck low, arrow low on the jaw or under the jaw, then I can tell you your peep you're almost going to have to have your peep where their speed knocks are in the string. So that is kind of the only downside there. But um, 
other than that, I think if you're a Matthews person, and especially if you're someone under a 30-inch draw, um, you know, you never know. Go out and test fire one. That's the only way you know for sure. Um, okay, next question here is from C. Boyer is asking, um, did the Silverbacks hang on a D-loop uh, well um, so that I can have it ready at all times? So the newer um, Silverbacks... The hook on the Silverbacks versus the original Evolutions, the hook is deeper and it's angled more, so you kind of can hang it on there, but honestly, if you're up in a tree and it's just hanging on there, there's nothing stopping you from bumping it off that hook and it falling to the ground. So it can hang, but it's not gonna it's not a full enclosure a full enclosure unit because <coughs> if you fully enclosed it obviously you would have to fire your bow every single time in order to get it to come off uh, just because of the way the silverback works um, next question here is from uh, Bry underscore Dylan he's saying uh, pretty much still on that silverback subject because he's commenting on C. Boyers and he's saying um, I've been using mine I like it, but I drift left. Any thoughts on that? So um, there's several different times where I've seen people that are starting to learn back tension for the first time, and they find themselves pulling off the target one way or another. I see just as many people say that they go off to the right as people that go off to the left. And a lot of that has to do with what your interpretation of back tension really is a lot of people do back tension the wrong way and actually i watched um i was someone sent me a private message um i wanted to kind of dig through some of their social media and see if i could find some stuff of them shooting i saw them shooting at their local range and they were getting coached by their local coach and she was trying to kind of describe to him what he should do as he was trying to use tension to pull through a caliper style wrist strap release. And the way she was describing it to him, she was saying shoulders of the back wall, you know, shoulders of the back wall. And um, that's a little bit different. The way she was saying it, um, he was, you know, you can imagine someone being in a lane she was standing directly behind his back, not behind his elbow. When I'm working with an archer, I am going to stand directly, pretty much directly in the same line as they're shooting at their target, but I'm behind their elbow and slightly offset, whereas she was standing directly behind his spine or directly behind his head, and she was wanting him to squeeze his shoulder blades back, which is what a lot of people teach. They, they think that they need to squeeze their shoulder blades back. That's what back tension is, almost like a rear shrug or like a row. And the problem is when you focus on doing that, you're obviously going to move yourself to the left. Whereas what you really want to do is you want to focus on just the rear scapula moving and almost sliding towards the spine so the rear scapula is essentially just going to slide towards the spine and that's why I like to talk about focusing on the tip of your elbow 
moving towards something that's behind you almost at like one o'clock if you're looking back. If you're squeezing your, both your shoulder blades together like in a shrugging motion, you're going to pull yourself off and you're also going to just not feel that comfortable doing that as well. Um, other times people that find themselves moving off to the right, if your stance is very closed, um, you know, and if you're not looking down at your feet and you're putting your front foot ahead of your rear foot, then a lot of times what happens when you're doing that is you're overextending it as you're pulling through with the rear, even if you're pulling the elbow in the correct position that I'm talking about, it's moving that body over because you've put your front, the front of your uh, arm, shoulder, you've put it in such a direct line that you're not able to really hold that shoulder down. You need to have a slight triangle, so that's why slightly opening your stance turns your torso just a little bit so that you actually have a slight triangle that's being made, and that really helps you stabilize the front and pull through while your core and your torso can maintain your posture straight at that target. So, you know, I like the front foot being one or two inches um, behind the back foot. So my front foot will be slightly back, front foot will be parallel to the target, and that lets me slightly turn my body enough to just create a small triangle in my front torso, and that'll really help uh, your stability and how your, your pulling through motion affects what the front part of your body doing but most of that is just relative to people you know and that's the sucky part about um me trying to explain this over um an mp3 file uh is that i do my best and i try to do videos to talk about these things as they come up a lot of it i take for granted um but some of this stuff it's such a small little detail and it's not hard it's just someone just showing you the right way one time and you say, oh man, I can feel that difference. That's, that's what I wish I could give everybody, but I do my best to do it via um, noises that come out of my mouth. <coughs> Let's see here. Dan, the man, LeSage, is asking... Um, what are we drinking in the 2018 or in the 2018 when I win the trip to the dojo? So, yeah, I still will have drawings. I'm going to still have, um, I'm going to still pick some winners for um, some random people to come out and have a little knock on experience. Um, best of social, normally I'll do a uh, best knock to fork. Um, I did a, a patron award last year, had an awesome little group out here for some fun. Um, I plan on doing something very similar to that. Um, I've also, this is really going to be, if there's one listener out there, um, and I feel bad saying this because I know that I've got a lot of listeners that are super loyal and you guys are on a budget and all that stuff's um, understandable. But 
Um, there's actually something that's going to be coming up with Andy and I. I don't know if I should even talk about it. But anyway, um, Andy and I have been asked to do a, an event um, that is possibly going to be sp- uh, specifically for fundraising. I'm not totally sure yet. Um, but we're going to do an event um, at a cool mountain location where someone can actually get a full um, experience that is going to entail um, a custom bow build uh, start to finish. Um, I'll have everything there. You will build with me through that experience. Um, you will also be um, you'll also get to learn grilling. All food will be cooked and taught while um, we're grilling. Andy will be doing a survival um, survival and tactical training. Um, it'll all be, it's literally going to be like a two, a two on one experience. Um, it's going to go to the highest bidder. And, um, I think depending, I can't announce the partners that have kind of came up with this, but, um, there is also, I believe going to be, um, some awesome CrossFit training, um, by a third instructor, uh, who I can't name yet. So you're literally going to get a train, hunt, eat, uh, full three-on-one experience. Um, and I don't know when we'll launch that campaign, but it is going to come up. And the right person that uh, wants to literally have an amazing weekend on a super private and unbelievable uh, location that's gonna happen so uh, that should be really really cool Um, thankful for the people that that are really supporting these things and obviously I'm happy to do it for the right causes as well Um, let's see here but anyway in regards to that drink um, that actually plays right into another question that I had, which was from big underscore key 33. My drinks of choice vary depending on um, those of you out there who are awesome enough to send me different drinks. This weekend, I actually broke open two uh, really good drinks just because I had a good friend here from a long way off. And uh, I opened... Um, a very, very old bottle of Jameson that was given to me from my buddy Brennan Hansen. And uh, Brennan gave it to me actually. Actually, I don't think, I don't know if it was just him or if it was everybody from Archery Country, but they gave me that for what I did, um, or I shouldn't say me, but what Sharon and I did to help um, Archery Country and Crispy with their efforts down on the hurricane relief. Um, so I saved that for a special weekend, which was this weekend. And then also I, um, had some pappies. Um, it was, it was a pretty, it was a, it was a brown water weekend. Um, (coughs) but this question is from big key 33 is what kind of liquor do you mix with your kill cliffs? Uh, so 
here is what I have found. I've been experimenting with different combinations. Um, if you're under 21, this can only be done um, with adult supervision, possibly. Uh, let's see here. So what I found and what I commented, I did comment, but I thought it would be worth saying again. So with the blood orange, um, my mix is vodka. I like the Tito's. I haven't tried it with anything else yet, but it was devastating in Georgia. Um, and then with the lemon lime, I prefer tequila. I personally like the Don Julio. I have some other weird stuff that my dad brought me, uh, which it's okay, but the Julio or some Patron is the bomb. With the raspberry blueberry, um, I've decided <laughs> this goes back to um, this goes back to the only time I actually had purple passion is what we called it. I was on the way to um, I think a Motley Crue concert. I was riding in someone's car um, down in Crystal Lake, Illinois. I think I was like. 11 or 12 and I was in someone's car I have no idea they were um, taking me up to the concert and uh, they had um, grape soda and Everclear and that was like the first time I partake in that um, <coughs> also use with caution but the raspberry blueberry does mix good with Everclear but just so you know, Everclear um, ha could possibly have temporary memory loss. Um, so then with the pomegranate punch, um, that actually goes really good with gin. And with the blackberry lemonade, um, I've found that if you mix that with the Jeremiah Weed sweet tea vodka, um, you kind of get this fruity little um, John Daly. So... That's my mixture, if you got the five flavors. So, <clears throat> sorry to, I hope I don't sound like an alcoholic. I don't think I'm an alcoholic. If I was, I would take the first step and I would tell a friend. I would <laughs> I would probably tell Andy um, or my friend Ryan Bronco. They Either one of those two would understand and they would help me. Um, let's see here. Uh, next question is from Nick B underscore 56. Um, I have shot a Scott shark. So this is a wrist strap release. Um, listening to your podcast and most recently Peterson's bow hunting with Randy Ulmer. Um, you guys all have one thing that stands out to shoot attention activated hinge release. Well, not necessarily hinge release, but either one. How long will it take to get used to that transition? So that kind of goes right back to what I answered earlier. And this actually reminds me <coughs> of um, one thing you can do. If you go to um, the Knock on Archery YouTube channel or if you go to YouTube in general, um, just type in John Dudley um, Mastering the Release Aid. I think this is jogging my brain. But yes, okay. Um, mastering the Release Aid. Uh, dash John Dudley. Um, that is a video that I did specific to how to shoot different types of release aids. So um, you can see firsthand what I'm talking about and um, and it goes from there. So uh, let's see here. 
<coughs> when am I and Joe? This is from Vintage underscore eighty three. When are you and Joe Rogan going to do another podcast together? Um, that's actually coming up um, pretty soon. We're going to get together uh, to do a podcast in some shooting. Um, I was kind of wanting to be out there already, but he really wanted to get the range part going. So we'll hook up at some point and here pretty soon, I'm sure. So I haven't got to see him in a while. Um, kind of missing him, but I've been hunting like crazy. I'm hunt like archery season officially ended on Friday here in Iowa. Um, I do have, um, I, I do have a late season tag, which opens in a few weeks, but, um, I don't know how hard I'll get after it. Um, a lot of my late season choices really depends on how much, um, how many deer get whacked by all the gun hunters around me. Um, last year was the only year that I filled all three of my Iowa tags, most years I shoot one or two here at home, so I may or may not do much hunting. I need to get back to uh, talking to my friends, <coughs> replying to emails, and all that good stuff. Because if you know me, um, well, kind of from mid-September to November, end of November, I'm not really a good friend. I'm kind of in uh, buck zombie mode. So I'm recovering from that. I need to start um, getting after it in the gym and all that good stuff. But let's see here. Uh, there's two questions. One, I'm going to talk about this. Um, one, one of the persons that's watching right now live was, um, his name was uh, not Bulbus, not Bulboas. But he was asking, what? how do I handle coughing when I have coughing and I'm in the tree stand? Um, actually, my, I got this sickness when I went um, for that one-day New York trip. I went to New York for a day to have a dinner with Jim Miller and my friend Torsten. And I caught some kind of weird respiratory deal on the plane. Some dude was behind me just coughing his lungs out. And I was like, oh, great. Here we go. Sure enough, I caught it. I was worn down. This is actually a true testimony. I Because I actually um, forgot to do my normal order for my Onnit TPC pack. So I stopped taking. I stopped taking... I didn't have my alpha brain and I didn't have my TPC packs for like three weeks. So I didn't have like hardly much for vitamins. I was literally like living off peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and some kill cliffs. And that was really it. Um, wasn't eating, wasn't eating very good. Sleep was super minimal. And obviously I'm sitting in a tree freezing to death a lot. And I ended up just getting, running myself down and getting sick. And <coughs> this cough is really bad. And um, I started for the last two weeks, I've only been able to go out on days where I'm not like coughing a lot. And I've been trying to only hunt in a blind where I can somewhat contain it. Um, <clears throat> if I start coughing too much, honestly, I've just left. Um, or if I'm coughing a lot and I feel really irritated through the days, I don't, I didn't hunt because it's, uh, I don't know, it's really annoying and it's tough to do. I bought a cough muffler one time. It was this product I saw on TV. It was pretty much like a, 
it almost looked like a big vape tube and it was just filled with cotton balls and it was supposed to suppress your cough. All it did for me was like backlash my compression and blew my eardrums out. So don't try that. Um, let's see here. Next question is um, from Jason Breland. He's asking any testing out there for knock pinch. So this is a really good question and one that I've talked about during my bow build segments. But knock pinch is when you draw your bow back, as you draw the bow back, this string makes a triangle. Depending on how far apart your knocking points that are on your center serving, depending on how far apart those are, and also the thickness of your arrow knock that's clipped between those, depending on that spacing, as you draw back and that triangle is formed, um, it has a certain amount of pinch. And the shorter your brace height on your bow, which is the distance from the inside of your grip to your string, the shorter your axle to axle length, the combination of both, as well as the length of your draw length, um, which for me, I'm a 31 inch draw, that knock pinch can get to be pretty tight at full draw. So what that means is that's the, the, the tighter that angle is at full draw, when your bow is at rest, the further apart those knocks are going to have to be. It's almost similar to like your peep height orientation. You know, your peep height can be lower in the string when you don't have as much of a, a string angle. But when your string angle starts to get tighter, your peep has to be much higher. And, you know, the, the distance between your knock and your peep have to be much greater. So same is true with arrows. If you're shooting a bow that has a, a very short axle axle or a very short brace height, what will happen is when your bow is at rest, you're going to have to have some movement in your knock um, on how it fits between the two knocking points. There might have to be slightly some slight play because as it's drawn back, that pinches. If it pinches too tight, then what will happen is when it pinches on the arrow, it's almost like you pinching an arrow at the back of it. It's pretty hard to stabilize. If you grab one of your arrows and you try to hold it straight out by just pinching the back of it, you'll find that it, you know, it's hard to hold it perfectly in line. And it really, what happens is when there's pinch on the back of the arrow, it doesn't ride on your arrow rest with good support. You actually want your arrow using your rest as it projects forward. So what I do to test mine to make sure I have enough pressure of the arrow sitting on the arrow rest so it rides that rest through your draw cycle is I will take the point out of the end of my arrow clip my arrow on the string and draw it back and then slightly aim down, not too far down, but slightly aim down just like if you were shooting from a tree stand. If when you draw back that arrow lifts off the rest, then that's telling you your knocks are too close together and you're pinching the back of that arrow. The other thing is when you start to aim down, you'll see that arrow just start to come up and sometimes even turn to the side you don't want that. So you need to have enough um, 
knock separation, which sometimes it you know it may only need to be half a millimeter, but you do need to have it right. And sometimes the longer you shoot, or if you have a D loop that starts to get a little loose, and then you cinch it in really tight with a pair of needle nose pliers. Sometimes when you reef on that and you tighten it down, it'll squish it a little bit tighter together. And even if you've set it up correctly at the beginning, or if it was set up perfectly from your dealer one way, after you reseed it, it may change. Um, so you should check that. Um, it's pretty important and it definitely has a lot of effect on your high and low missing. Uh, one thing that this reminds me uh, to talk about is back in the beginning of the podcast when I um, was talking about the gentleman that had a bow where he went from Texas back home to Alabama and it started shooting high or started shooting low. I was saying that the knocking point is probably getting moved up. Um, so one thing you need to check if your dealer didn't tie knocking points on your string on your serving and he just put a d loop on a lot of times those d loops if it's just a d loop they can move up or down very easy and that will mate you know quickly uh change where your groups hit uh for those of you watching right now i'm going to finish this podcast off uh the live feed um, so thanks everybody for tuning in out there. Um, actually I will come back cause I want to show you guys. So I'll be right back everybody. I want to show you all watching something. So hang tight. I'll be back in a minute. Um, yeah, I need to, uh, I actually want to show everyone watching something, but, um, in the meantime, uh, there's another question that I wanted to talk about here. Uh, and this is, I don't know, this is, this is kind of a, um, well, I guess I got to wait on that. One question I have here was from someone online was asking me, um, about, uh, what is a good youth bow to have? And honestly, and mainly they were asking because they have a youth bow, um, right now but it was an entry-level youth bow so sometimes um, sometimes you will uh, get a bow for you know I guess your kid or whatever and um, you'll just want to get them in at a certain price range um, but then as they you know that they like it and as um, as you know that they're gonna stay doing it, you wanna get a slightly better bow. And that's what happened with me back in the day when Sharon and Harry started. When Harry started, I started him on a mini mini Genesis bow. Um, and he quickly uh, escalated up. Um, and then I ended up getting, um, well, then Sharon started shooting and I started Sharon on a Cobalt. Um, which was a, a really good, uh, you know, a really good little bow. Um, then after the cobalt, um, I ended up getting a different bow for Sharon and I just continued to progress up and I progressed up in price range. So pretty much the way, um, that it would go is like this person that was asked, they started on a little bow, um, that, 
was, you know, like right now, the names change every year, so it's tough, but like right now, there's a little bow that Hoyt makes that has a lot of draw length variation called a fire shot, but it's an entry level bow. There's a lot of things to it that um, are not necessarily going to be as good as others. And then they've got um, a clash bow, um, which is kind of a, a step up, um, which has a lot of draw length variation, but there's things to it. You know, if you have to back the limbs out very far because it has a long draw length range, like your kid can grow with these bows, but once they get to the point where they start to really, um, they kind of want to maximize that, then you start getting into the, you know, where you can maybe get them, um, depending on their draw length, you could get them into like, say a power max, which is like a, a mid range bow. Or the other thing you can do is you can also look at um, some of the some of the other uh, variations. Like for example, um, you can get a little FX version of some of these bows. Um, some of the higher end bows, you get a little FX version, um, which is kind of a short draw version, but it allows you to. Um, get one that's like 30 to 40 pounds like for example if you have a kid that's getting involved they have a bow but they're really into it and you're wanting to maybe you want to get them a target archery for example Hoyt makes a prevail which is the same bow that I shoot but they make a prevail fx and this is like the bow that I built for Lucy O'Sullivan in Great Britain this bow goes from 22 inches up to about 24 and a half inches um, and the draw length goes anywhere from 30 pounds up to 70 pounds. Now you will have to specifically pick um, what draw length you want. Um, it also has a different cam system on that same configuration uh, that allows you a much longer draw length variation from 23 inches all the way up to like say 30 inches. Um, but it's a smaller riser, it's a smaller configuration, and it pretty much uh, allows a smaller framed person to have a bow that works really well. So the best thing to do is to go into your dealer and just specifically ask them, you know, hey, what's, uh, you know, can you tell me right now uh, what my best options are? And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll hook you up. So... The next question here is, um, well, I'm going to do a few things. One, because I've got people that have kind of jumped back on now that are watching. Um, there's something new that I put on the website that I haven't actually talked about yet. Um, it's on there. So if you're like um, a Knock on Archery website stalker, you've seen them. But they're actually um, pretty cool. A buddy of mine, Joel, came up with them. And it works pretty cool because I know there's a ton of Noctuits out there and there's a ton of Silverbacks out there. And some people just want to trick something out just a little bit. So he actually came up with some skins for the Noct. They're cut out specifically for the Noctuit release. Um, and there'll be Silverback ones coming soon. But there's skins that are pretty much um, vinyl skins. I've made three different designs for the releases, but it allows you to kind of customize your knock to it or your silverback 
Um, there's three different designs uh, that are all pretty cool and they're pretty inexpensive. They're really inexpensive, but they come in a little package. I've got directions on the front on how to apply them. Main thing is you really want to make sure you wash your hands in like dish soap to get all the oil off your hands. You have to clean your release with an alcohol pad and clean your hands with alcohol so you don't have any oil on anything because this is, you know, they're, they're vinyl skins. So if you have oil on your fingers, it's going to end up peeling off. But more or less, if you've ever stuck a sticker on something, that's pretty much what you're doing. You're taking your release and you've got several different skins. I've got one that is carbon fiber. Um, it's like a carbon fiber look, which is pretty cool. The one that I'm using right now is the Dia de Arco skull. Um, and that's in like a black charcoal with um, a light gray Noctuit uh, gradient in the background. And then I've got a black um, with knock on logos and a light gray cast of um, it says knock on repeating in the background. But what I did was um, I made three packs. So you get all three colors and um, you kind of get all three in the pack comes in a little pack and the other thing that's pretty nice about it is the vinyl actually um, really really works awesome <coughs> for just protecting your release um, the front of the release gets hit a lot just going in and out um, so what you'll find is, um, and some of you who have probably watched my live feed from the stand, you've seen some of the very first, you've seen some skins on my Noctuit. I've been using one for about five months now to make sure the wear is good. As long as you don't have oil on your fingers or on your release when you put it on, what would cause lift, as long as you don't have that, um, you can put it on, push it down really good and works awesome also has a little uh, circular skull for the end of your thumb knob uh, but it's a really slick little idea and you know if you're always laying your release down and sliding it around um, you're gonna like scratch and wear off the vinyl but you're not gonna scratch and wear off your anodizing on your release so it's actually a really good protectant and although we don't have them now um, there is skins coming soon uh, for the silverbacks as well. I had to wait till I had a silverback in stock so I could give them to make an exact cut, but there's going to be some very cool styles for the silverback. I tried to pick um, designs and graphics that matched the natural anodizing for the release. So um, obviously, I picked blacks and carbons and charcoals for the Noctuit because they looked really good on green. Um, on the silver, um, I've got a really cool diamond plate look coming, and I've got an American flag with an American knock-on logo. Um, for those of you who follow um, my buddy Andy Stumpf, you saw, I didn't know it until this morning, but... <coughs> Well, I knew he was doing it, but he went skydiving um, in San Diego and his new wingsuit, a lot of people don't know, but his new wingsuit is actually um, a huge photographic replica of his um, American flag that was on his SEALs uniform. Um, so it's 
you know, a pretty weathered flag. Um, you know, it's been through, uh, it's been through heck and back. And so he took that exact thing and they literally did a photo immersion on his newest wingsuit of his American flag. And, uh, he's like, dude, I need a knock on sticker to match this. So I made him some knock on American flag themed logos, uh, for his helmet. Um, and he posted that yesterday. Um, but in that spirit, I went ahead and made an American flag version for the silverback release. So if you're a silverback shooter, there will be a release, uh, release wrap kit coming for the silverbacks as well. You'll just have to keep your eye out for them. Um, so yeah, check that out. Pretty cool. Um, so this next question here is one that I, I wanted to answer, um, even though it was a little bit weird. Someone made a post, you know, there's there's always going to be someone that jumps in <coughs> that makes a comment that maybe doesn't need, um, doesn't fathom a reply. And honestly, um, I don't have time to check all you know i try to i try to respond to people equally in multiple areas but you know i just can't spend unlimited time on social media so i make a post and a lot of times i'll look back through those posts at relevant times like this to get podcast questions and help all of you out um but this morning i actually saw a post that i'm gonna reply to um not for any specific reason but i just think that it's it, it's warranted and it's actually a valid question um, even though I think several of you came to my defense on it uh, which I appreciate but um, you know I've been making um, there's been there's times where you'll see a lot of posts you, you see posts from me on things that I'm excited about I mean and that's just how I am who I am um, you know when I first I was actually pursued um, I was actually asked by Traeger if I wanted a Traeger um, when my grill first came, when the when I first was introduced to those grills, and I said I actually told them no. This is a true story. I said um, no, I don't. I said I've never heard of one. I said I don't really know how it works. I said, um, and they, you know, kind of gave me the sales pitch, said how awesome they were and everything, and <clears throat> that they really felt like my passion for food would be a really good combination for their product. So <clears throat> I just said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll buy one and I'll use it. And if it's cool, then, you know, I'll call you back. So he's just like, well, you know, we'll, we'll send you one. Um, we will send you one. So I just, again, I told him, no, I wanted to buy it. So I gave him my credit card. I ordered a Traeger. It was like one of the medium size ones. And literally I think my grill got in on a Thursday night or a Friday and I was excited. I made posts about it to, to try it, not specifically saying it, just more or less saying like trying my first Traeger. And literally I cooked the same way I normally would have on my older propane grill. And <coughs> my food was just way better. I felt like it was way better. It was way easier. And I ended up loving what I made Friday. Then Saturday, I cooked almost every meal on it. And then Sunday, same thing. 
I cooked something else and I actually was just following recipes that were in their book. I did like the first three or four things in their book and Sharon and Harry were like, this is the best thing you've ever made. So I ended up calling this guy back on Sunday night and when he picked up the phone, uh, Tyler said, I can't believe it took you till Sunday to call me back. And I said, yeah, dude, this thing is amazing, no doubt. I said, I love this thing. It's awesome. So, uh, you know, but that's how it started. The same thing with lately, I've been making posts about Killcliff. I was introduced to Killcliff actually by Andy. Um, Andy, I think, had some type of role with the company in the past. Um, it's got a couple mutual friends of ours that have affiliation with Killcliff. Um, but the only, I've never really been a soda drinker or anything like that. Every now and then I drink monsters and I know that it's not good. I drink the white ones and actually Cam Haynes is the one that showed me that had me have one of those for the first time. Um, we were at a UFC fight and he got one of those and I'm like, are those any good? He's like, these white ones are good. So I had one, but again, it's not like a good drink, but like anyone that works out and has a super clean diet, you know, you are looking for good alternatives for cheating and something that, you know, sometimes you just want a Coke or you just want a Sprite, but you know, I don't drink them. So Andy introduced me to Killcliff and right away, like most people, I said, you know, I said, well, you know, I have energy drinks sometimes. And then Andy's like, it's not an energy drink. He's like, that's their biggest hurdle is that their can looks like an energy drink. But he's like, dude, it's a it's a recovery drink. It's a hydration drink. Specifically, it's no sugar. You know, you're getting back electrolytes and some vitamins. It's mainly, you know, it was brought back for or he was telling me, it, you know, it's it's for recovery and for um, reducing information or uh, inflammation. So <clears throat> I'm like, okay, well, let me look at this. So I read the can and I'm like, Hey, it doesn't look bad. Then I drank it and I'm like, this is awesome. And actually the first one I drank, I didn't look at crap. I cracked that thing open and just decompressed that can, um, so quick. Cause I was so freaking thirsty on the first one that I had. Um, but then you know, the next one I had was back at camp and I started reading the can. I'm like, yeah, these are great. So, um, you know, I ended up getting some and I made some posts about it. And then Andy ended up telling me, hey, you know, some of the guys at Mountain Ops want to talk with you. So we actually went by Mountain Ops and I met some of them. Uh, what the heck? I'm saying Mountain Ops because someone on, on uh, Instagram is asking me about Mountain Ops. I'll get to that in a minute. They we went by Killcliff and super cool people and realized I started to I'm like, what what's the history behind this company? So I watched this YouTube video on the foundation and you know how the company started. Started from a former Navy SEAL. They you know, they're really dedicated to being the biggest supporter to the Navy SEAL Foundation. And I all see for me, I was sold on the company. The company has a very good thing behind them i i was just like okay i read the can the can has things that i personally like me personally um and the company itself has a very good meaning so 
you know, I've been promoting the heck out of Killcliff because I really felt like it was an awesome brand and I liked it. Um, so, and actually, there's some of you listening right now that I'll guarantee you <coughs> have you've seen an order from me come through something I find on social media. I research your brand. I think it's really cool, and um, I don't have any in here, but. You know, I just found this new um, health food. I don't even know the name of it. I'll have to find it. But I, you know, ordered some health food. I really like it. I'm probably going to start talking about the company. I have no idea um, about, you know, I know the guy seems nice. I've talked to him a few times. And when I read the label, it's what I want to eat. So I like it. Um, but in that regards, I don't endorse products that I don't like. I just mentioned Mountain Ops. And someone was asking me what I think about Mountain Ops. I had a podcast previously where I talked about this. And the reason that I did was <clears throat> because Mountain Ops actually pursued me about representing their products. This is probably two years ago. And a good friend of mine that I knew at Hoyt, who was um, the pro, one of the pro staff guys at Hoyt, his name was Matt. Uh, he went to work for Mountain Ops. He knew about my lifestyle, my fitness, and he really pursued me about representing Mountain Ops. So I said, okay, you know, no problem. I like it. And they actually came to me with an endorsement deal. One of the few times I took a deal without actually trying product. This came back to bite me because at the time, um, I was very content with the product that I was using called Garden of Life. Garden of Life was a plant-based protein product and a lot of other products that they had that were very health conscious and very good healthy lifestyle alternative products. And I was good with them. My stomach was good with them. My stomach flora processed things well. I didn't have it, you know, I had muscle gain. I wasn't gaining weight and I was able, you know, to process um, this, you know, protein intake fine. So then um, I took the Mountain Ops deal without really looking uh, or trying it. And lo and behold, over the course of three to four months, um, I did not digest it as well as I had products that I had been buying um, before that. I didn't process it as well. My body didn't agree with it. I told them straight up what um, how I was reacting to it. I told them what I think you know that I would like it if they came out with a product that was more like something that I agreed with, so that I could stay with the brand. I told them several times. Um, then I cut out certain parts of their products and stayed with certain ones. Um, that were more workout only oriented and with those because of the types of sugars that were in them um, my body style and I know there's a lot of people that this is not the case for but for my particular body and part of the reason why I was so adamant about reading the can, the can on Killcliff and part of the reason why I used them for at least a month before I talked about them was I'm actually hyper, I'm borderline hyperglycemic and my insulin pr production is 
it really spazzes out with sugars and especially certain types of synthetic sugars as well. There's certain types of things that have sucrose in them that for me, I quickly, quickly gain weight and not good weight. Um, so I gained um, about 12 or 14 pounds over the course of, I think, three to four months because of the different sugars. So I actually called them and just told them straight up, I don't have, you know, I know a lot of people use their products. A lot of people get along really good with them. And they just, for me, it wasn't a good fit because I couldn't keep telling people that I was using it when in fact I was not going to be using it. So um, I know there's a lot of people that try Garden of Life and they didn't like it. You know, they tried that and they just did not like it. That's understandable. Some people um, love muscle milk. It works great for them. Muscle milk did not work good for me. So, um, you know, that's my feeling. And when, when I left Mountain Ops, that for me, because I knew Joe at the time, um, that was when, and actually I think I was out just the way the time frame worked. I was at Joe's house and normally whenever I go to someone's place that is fitness or, um, you know, fitness oriented or healthy lifestyle oriented, I really like, like, I don't like to go there and them say, what do you, what do you want to eat? Especially someone like Joe who has like really cool, um, diets that he does or food choices that he does. Um, I, I'm like, Hey, make exactly, can I just try exactly what, like, what do you have for a protein shake? What do you have? Like, you know, what do you have when you need energy kick during the day? Like, what are you going to have pre-workout? You know, what, what do you have? Like, I wanted to actually consume the same as he did. So when I went to Joe's, I just told him everything that you like post and do, can I just try it? So he made me um, uh, on it um, hemp protein shake concoction, um, which he's like, this is what I have every morning. So he freaking made some. Um, it was aw- I'm like, okay, it, w- it tasted awesome. It was great. Um, I wanted to see how my body processed it. Mainly, here's the deal. When you're consuming something, if your body produces a lot of gas that does not smell like natural gas, um, that's, that's a problem. And when I worked um, in Sparta, Wisconsin, there was a company there called um, Century Foods. I think that's what it was called. Century Foods was a processor of a lot of different food products, one of them being a very big majority of workout formulas and protein mixes and all kinds of things like that. And the gym in town was actually at that corporate facility because they had a corporate gym built so a lot of their employees could use it. And then they sold memberships there. That's where I worked out. There were days where the smell coming out of there was vile. And the smell was vile because of chemicals that they were having to mix to make these synthetic types of proteins. And it was really cheap to buy their bulk they would have like their overage of you know it might be something they were making for eas or whatever else a lot of these companies use these 
literally these manufacturers. It's a lot like people that have, um, you know, you can go somewhere and you can buy um, a certain type of seed. You can buy, you know, buck forage oats. But you could also go to a co-op and get a lot of different versions of that same oat because it's all made, it's all grain from a granary or a co-op, right? So it's just a matter of packaging. Well, there's certain products that I did not get along with. They didn't work well. And for whatever reason, um, that's how I was with the product I was talking about before. So I wanted an alternative. Um, I tried the Onnit stuff. Um, Joe gave me a TPC pack in the morning. I had one of his hemp protein shakes. Um, then he made, I don't even know, he had leftover elk and jalapenos. He made jalapenos. He sliced up some leftover elk and he threw that in a big skillet with, I don't know, <laughs> probably a dozen freaking eggs and cooked those things up. And that's what we ate. And then before we kind of, um, went to the podcast, need a little midday energy kick. Um, you know, he had some, he had some caveman coffee and he had, um, I think four shroom techs and then, you know, had an alpha brain before the podcast. I mean, exactly what he says, that's what he did. And I did it and I really liked it. So I started using Onnit products at that time and I promote Onnit. I went down there. I wanted to meet the people. I wanted to see the people at the academy because I really wanted to see how their workout regiments were. I liked the look of the company. I really wanted to know. And I went down there and, you know, I met a lot of different people down there. Um, Sam, who's been on the podcast. And I'm like, listen, this dude's a good dude. He has a ton of really useful information and workout stuff. So I promoted it. And on it does not pay me. They're not a paid sponsor, but I promote them. Sometimes I have companies that I like and I promote and they do come to me and they say, can we somehow help support what you're doing? And obviously I welcome it. So with all that being said, I'm going to get to this question that DK line 47, um, I made a post about uh, Killcliff. I just made it. I don't even know what the post was. Um, but I made a kill cliff post. Um, I was literally, this was a picture that I took, um, and where I was sitting on a cooler, this was actually on a hunt and I was practicing shooting, um, from a ground blind. So I was just sitting on a cooler and making some shots. And, um, one of my buddies, Caleb Copeland took that picture and so I made a post and just told people, hey, make sure, you know, I forgot what I said. Do you practice your squat shot today? Um, but within that post, he made the comment, how much money do you make for product, for plugging your products on here? Um, so, you know, there was a couple different responses um, that were, you know, probably not what he wanted. People f feeling like he was trolling me. Um, but you know, I feel like I want to answer that question um, just because of the fact of, you know, I feel like um, I feel like I should. So my response to him and he's actually since replied is, um, you know, I don't discuss my personal endorsement, you know, my, you know, my financial personal endorsements or what I would get for finances because I think anybody with tact shouldn't discuss that um, on a, on any type of public platform. 
Um, but I said, what I will tell you is of all the products that I share um, with people, and especially the people who know me, they're products that I trust and they're products that I've used first. And once I've used them and I like them, if they pursue me to be a, you know, a staffer and if they're willing to work out something that allows me to do things like this um, and have some financial support, then I'll definitely do it and I welcome it. Um, so, you know, I think, um, if I want to post pictures of, um, that's the beauty of it. Um, if I want to post pictures of Killcliff cans, I will. If I want to post pictures of a Yeti cup, because one of my really good friends, uh, works for Yeti and I, I use them every day and I want to help him do good at his job, then I'm going to do it. If I want to talk about HMC knives because he makes a kick-ass knife and even though I've only ever bought, you know, several dozen from him, um, I want him to do good. He's got an awesome business and he's not paying me crap. I pay him and I talk about him. <laughs> so um, I think it's a, a, an important thing that all of you out there uh, should know about me because that's how it's always going to be. Uh, okay, so last question here is from Joey W789. I hear shades barking upstairs at, at someone, so um, either we got UPS or she's wanting to be fed. Uh, but Joey W789 is saying, any tips that you have um, for grilling backstraps? So um, here's the deal. What I found when it comes to grilling is... Um, and this goes for simple steaks or steaks or vegetables is, you know, keeping the ingredients simple. Um, I'm not like a big, for example, I remember one time I had a neighbor, we went over to our neighbor's house and, um, she made this green bean casserole and Sharon's like, what's in that green bean casserole? And she goes, Oh, it's two cans of green beans. She goes, then it's two cans of uh, cream of mushroom soup. She goes, and then you, you bake that. And then she goes, you take you take a, a bag of um, fried, you know, like fried onion chips. And she's like, you crumble those all on the top and then you bake it. And Sharon's like, how'd you come up with that? It's a green bean casserole to any of us in the U.S. We know what it is, but Sharon from England didn't know. And she said, well, she goes, my husband won't eat any vegetables. So she goes, this is the only way I can get him to do it. So it's like, okay, good for you for trying to get him to have vegetables. But if a canned vegetable that's been sitting in water for who knows how long, two cans of processed fat soup and then a bag of fried onion rings crumbled on the top like you're better off him never eating vegetables than having him eat that style of vegetable so i'm the same um simple ingredients you can have in your house um balsamic vinegar is one of them olive oil some simple seasonings or even just like rock salts and peppers are actually, or you know, ground pepper is really, really good. Um, when it comes to backstraps, the main thing is make sure you have that silver skin off. Um, if you leave that silver skin on, it'll like 
deform your state, your back straps when you're cooking them. Um, yeah, Himalayan salt is awesome. I, there's actually four Traeger rubs right now that I really, really like. Um, they've done a ton on their rubs to uh, make sure that there's, you know, there's none of the bad chemicals and, and things in there. So um, the new rubs are all great, but I more or less take my back straps. I'll put some olive oil on there, put some salt in, some pepper, um, and then a lot of times I'll either put, depending on what I want to do, sometimes I'll put some Worcestershire in there or a little bit of soy sauce and some balsamic vinegar. Um, and then I'll just kind of marinate those for just a little bit. Yeah, the new coffee rub that Traeger has is amazing. Um, with the vegetables, I'll literally put them in a bowl. I'll take like fresh broccoli, fresh cauliflower, um, the small mini peppers I have, any of that stuff. Put them in a bowl, put some olive oil on there as I'm shaking the bowl around and just get just a fine coating of olive oil on there. It really helps cook them. Um, and then I'll just put a little bit of that se- you know, seasoning of some kind in there. Salt and pepper is great with any type of vegetable. And then I'll literally just go out and put them on the grill. The main thing is um, having a little thermal uh, uh, thermometer pen forget the name of the company that makes mine. I think it's Thermaworks. Um, DivaQ got me one actually as a gift um, a- after meeting her at, at a Traeger event. And she told me, you know, this would change how I, how I cook and the, the consistency of my cooking. And it's 100% right. Having one of those is really, really valuable. I think Traeger actually has one now. It's an orange one and it's got a flip out probe. You can put it in there. And really what you want to do is cook your back straps i i personally like mine about 135 um joe likes his a lot lean a lot rarer he has his like 125 he pulls them off and what you want to do or what i want to do is normally i'll cook at about 400 degrees for about 20 minutes and it gets my back straps um, depending on your thickness check for the internal temp when they get to about 130 to 135 if you're wanting like medium take them off. I actually put mine in um, butcher paper. You can put them in foil too and wrap them up and then just set them inside of a little cooler. If you, I have a little Yeti flip cooler, like what you'd put a six pack or 12 pack of beer in. Um, I put them in there, zip it shut. And for normally right before I pull those off, I put the vegetables on and vegetables take right at 20 minutes to cook on the Traeger. Um, so Right before those vegetables get done, I'll take um, a hot skillet. I'll put some grass-fed butter in there, turn that skillet up so the butter is really sizzling, and then take your back straps out. You do this right before you take your vegetables off. The vegetables take about 20 minutes total. Um, Take those back straps out and do what's called a reverse sear. You're going to just set them and literally just kind of sear for about 20 to 30 seconds on each side. As soon as, like literally as soon as you start searing that first side, go out, grab your vegetables, come back in, flip those things over, put put vegetables on people's plates, and by the time you put it on three or four plates, turn around and grab grab that, that skillet and go ahead and set those reverse seared back straps on everybody's plate and you... Um, are going to be loving it. So, uh, Wapiti Fitz saying, do you like the meat, um, at warmer or fresh out of the fridge? I actually always leave, 
um, my meat to get to room temperature before I start cooking. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's what I like to do. I'll take, you know, especially if I'm cooking like a big brisket or something, I'll take it out and kind of let it get to temperature. That way you're not cooking the outside. Um, and then there's like a chemical process too, um, that happens, um, to get that really good smoke ring on the outside. So, um, having that come to room temperature is really, really important. And I can tell any of you listening or watching right now, um, a good friend of mine is Chad Ward. If you're on Instagram, go ahead and follow him. It's, um, his Instagram account is whiskey bent barbecue. Um, so whiskey bent barbecue, all one, his name's Chad Ward and, <clears throat> He's actually now the director of uh, barbecue marketing for Traeger Grills. Um, he's been on a ton of TV networks and food networks. Just a super awesome dude and an amazing cook. Um, but other than that, everything's rocking and rolling. Um, hopefully you guys have a, a great, great week. Um, I may podcast before I leave. I don't know. I know that uh, <clears throat> I'm preparing for this hunt. So I can tell you when it comes to preparation... Uh, my goal right now is actually to just go, I'm, I'm going to shoot, um, an indoor round and my focus is I'm going to do three days solid of indoor shooting to just really ingrain technique and timing. Um, I'm going to, if it's calm today, I'm going to check my marks one more time before my trip. Um, otherwise I really want to just get in reps um, I want to really work on my timing and my sequencing, and I think it's important uh, to do that because of the fact that I've been hunting. I haven't been shooting a lot. I feel like I can shoot good enough to, to kill stuff, um, but I really want to just try to get back into perfection mode, and in order to do that, I need reps right now. I really just need high numbers of volume to try to just get consistency in my feel back. Um, so that's it. Um, I'm going to be doing a podcast uh, this week um, with someone else. I had um, actually ordered something from on online. He ended up reaching out to me. Um, I'm going to be on the podcast Order of Man. Um, we're going to be doing that podcast um, here in the next day or so. So um, you can also see him um, on Instagram. Seems like a pretty good dude. Um, I'm not, I don't, his name is Ryan Mitchler. Um, he's got an amazing beard. I know that. So um, that's always a pretty good start. I can't really grow one. I can grow one. If I grew one totally out, it, I'd look like Gandalf. So I'm not going to totally grow it out. But uh, yeah, hopefully it's a cool podcast. And uh, I think he's a cool dude. So check all that stuff out. Appreciate everybody and knock on. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com. <laughs>